Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me. I'm Howard Parker. We're celebrating Ben Eldridge's birthday with a previously unreleased interview from 2012. The original interview was over three hours, and we've divided it into three parts. In this part one of three parts, Ben talks about his childhood, meeting up with Mother Maybell and the Carter sisters, his early music, first guitar, first banjo, of which Dad described as a cacophony, his years at the University of Virginia and meeting up with longtime collaborators Paul Kraft and John Starling. We end this segment with Ben talking about his move to the D.C. area, attending those picking parties, and eventually getting hired by Cliff Waldron. Play banjo with Cliff Waldron and the New Shades of Grass. Part one of three parts as Katie Daly talks with Ben Eldridge. My name, uh, my full name is Benjamin Rolf Eldridge, or as my grandmother used to say, Benjamin Rolf Eldridge, and but most people call me Ben Eldridge. I was born uh, August the 15th, 1938, in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, my mom's name was uh, Polly Eldridge, her real name was Roberta, but everyone called her Polly. My dad was Edward Eldridge, people called him Ned. Uh, my dad, uh, at the time was a, was a lawyer uh, and I guess my mom was a housewife later later on she uh, became uh, director of personnel for the Department of Welfare and Institutions for the whole state of Virginia she was uh, she was quite a gal she and my my dad were divorced when I was pretty small I guess I was about five years old and uh, he ended up uh, in New York uh, in advertising business um, uh, let's see, I grew up in uh, Richmond, Virginia. I went to elementary school, went to junior high school and high school. I went to uh, Jeb Stewart Elementary School, Chandler Junior High School, and uh, I was uh, president of the student body when I was in junior high school. And, uh, was that an office you were elected to, yes. or did you run for it? No, I had to run for it. I had to get up in front of the whole assembly and, and make a speech. And what was your platform? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't remember. Um, and uh, then I went to Thomas Jefferson High School uh, and graduated from there in 1957. After that, um, I went to University of Virginia uh, starting in fall of 57, 1957. And, Graduated in uh, 1961, uh, and then I moved. I, I got a job. My math. I had a math major, so I ended up getting a job up at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab up in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. So I had to move up to the D.C. area, which I did in in uh, July of uh, 1961, and uh, uh, that's. You know, I've been been in the general D.C. area ever since. Let's see. What, what about I, music? Was there music? How about your parents? Were well, they musical folks? Not not really. Uh, my mom played piano. Uh, my dad had a, a really nice singing voice, but he didn't play any instruments or anything like that. But he really could, really had a lovely singing voice. And in um, the home, did she play and he sing? Or? Well, we, we, we never had a piano. Uh, but we, my, but my grandparents had one, and we spent a lot of time over there. And I used to hear her play over there, and she was she was pretty good. Um, 
But as far as the, the uh, music, um, I, I think at an, well, I, I can remember, literally, I can remember when I was still in my crib, I was still in a crib, and I remember one summer night, uh, the window was open by the crib. I, I guess I stayed in the crib for a long time because I could talk at this point. <laughs> anyway, I had, uh, there was a family across the street, and actually they were distant cousins of mine, and one of them played a harmonica. And he was sitting out on the front porch, it was after dark, um, sitting out on the front porch and playing harmonica. He was playing stuff like Red River Valley and I don't know, you know, those kinds of things. And I can remember going nuts. I thought it was the coolest stuff I'd ever heard and kept, whenever he'd stop playing, I'd yell out the window, hey Mike, don't stop, don't stop, keep going. And uh, I, that's, I think that's the first time I was ever really grabbed by, by music. Uh, and I was little, I mean, I, literally, I was still in a, in a crib. Um, and then as, when, when I was growing up, the Old Dominion Barn Dance was down in Richmond and they were on the radio two or three times a day on WRVA, you know, they'd have these little 15 minute shows. And, and when I was at home, if I knew they were gonna be on, I was there listening. And I loved it. I mean, it was just something about country music. Uh, I never analyzed it, it just spoke to me, you know? And uh, so I, 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 you know, I think that's where I, I sort of fell in love with it. Um, and. My, my folks didn't particularly care for it, you know. They were, they they pretty much liked big band music and things like that. But we didn't even have a we didn't even have a record player or anything like that when I was growing up until I was probably ten years old, something like that. We got a forty-five when those little RCA jobs. Um, but uh, one of the other one of the interesting things that. Uh, occurred when I was growing up. I was probably seven, eight, maybe eight or nine. I'm not sure how, but in that vicinity. The uh, Carter sisters, Helen, June, Anita, Mother Maybell, were on the Old Dominion Barn Dance, and they lived about a block and a half from my house. Uh, and we used to see them coming home, riding, they'd come up in front of them, uh, at the corner of Cliff Avenue and Ladies Mile Road in, in Richmond. And they had a big Cadillac, and you know, you could always tell when they were, cause there weren't many Cadillacs that went up my street <laughs> back in those days. Um, but we, uh, one of my one of my friends, kid that was a little bit older than I am, um, but you know, one of the neighborhood gang, he and that fellow named Maurice Dooling. Maurice and I used to, got to know June and Helen. We'd go over there. Um, well, how, do, how did you meet them? Did you? I think we just, um, well, we used to hang out at a, at a uh, little grocery store, which is right across the street. And I have no idea how we finally met them. Maybe we just sucked it up and went over there and said something to them or something. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, anyway, June thought we were cute little boys. And uh, we used to, the, the, she used to invite us over to picnics in the backyard. Uh, and uh, Mother Maybell didn't, she wouldn't, she didn't have much to do with us, but, in, but in, uh, but Helen and June really thought we were we were cool, and they would especially Helen. Helen would uh, get a guitar out and play for us a little bit. It was before I ever started playing anything. And, and how old, how old were you? I was probably 
eight or nine, something like that. Uh, I was, you know, just little guys. And uh, as a result, we, uh, well, we were just, we just fell in love with them. We just thought they, they were the neatest people on the planet. And uh, we used to, my mom used to take us down to the Old Dominion Barn Dance every Saturday, well, not every Saturday night, but uh, she would take Maurice and me down and uh, they had a they had two shows, 7:30 and 9:30, and there was a there was about a 45 minute break between the two shows, and we would go to the first show, and then then uh, we would go down and go to the backstage area, and uh, June would usually come out and get us, and we'd go down and hang out with all the all the other people on the show, uh, Joe Mafis and uh, Benny Kissinger and Curly Collins, and and my mom, who was. Uh, not quite used to that sort of crowd, you know. She was a very, <laughs> she was a, a very genteel uh, sort of very proper lady. But anyway, she got to be. Uh, there was a, there was a, a group that uh, there was a duet called Looney Luke and Roly Poly Reed, <laughs> and she and Roly Poly got to be pretty good friends, I think. You know, because she would just hang outside the stage door and just you know on the sidewalk out there while Maurice and I were downstairs or down in, in there. So bless her heart, you know. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, but that, that actually, that actually happened. <laughs> well, um, now when did you pick up, guitar was your first instrument. It was, and I, it's not really what I wanted to learn how to play, um, oddly enough. Um, there was a kid a across the street named Nicky Valdrigi, and he was, and his dad, and well his dad was from, from the old school, from Italy. I mean, he had a thick broken accent. And his mom wasn't, but uh, anyway, Nick, Nick was about two, two and a half years older than, than I was, or I am. And whatever Nick did, that's what I wanted to do. You know, if he got a new cap pistol, I wanted a new cap pistol. If he got a football, I wanted a football. Well, his parents gave him accordion lessons, and he actually learned how to play. He got so he's pretty good. Uh, and that's what I wanted. I wanted an accordion because that's what Nick had. And we just, we didn't have much money at the time, so we just couldn't afford an accordion, I was told. But she, my mom said, and is anything else? And I thought, well, you know, I like this. It's, we call it hillbilly music back then. I, maybe a guitar. So she agreed that we could get a guitar. So we went down to Sears and Roebuck on Broad Street, on West Broad Street in Richmond. And we got a, I got a Gene Autry Melody Ranch guitar for 13 bucks, but it was playable. And that's that's what I learned how to play on. I, I took a couple of lessons from an old guy. Uh, he tried to get me to read music and I, I, I didn't like that. But I had a book of uh, cowboy songs, Red River Valley and, you know, Chisholm Trail and all those things. And they had the chords, had the chords written out over the, you know, over the words just like they do. And that's really how I, how I learned uh, to, you know, I'd sing it and then I'd go, oh, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense, I can hear that. And I got so I could hear the chord changes real pretty quickly. You know, I could tell when it was going to go to a five, I didn't know it was called a five chord, but, you know, if we were in G, I could tell when it went to D or if it, when it was going to go to a C or if it had an A in it. I, I picked that up pretty fast. Um, and um, so that's, that's kind of my was sort of my introduction to uh, music. And then I had a cousin 
first cousin who played mandolin and also played harmonica. And so, and he was also uh, sort of a role model for me. He was a little older than me and, uh, and uh, he, uh, but he started playing harmonica with a holder around his, around his neck. Well, I had to have one of those too. So, so uh, I, I did get one and I learned how to play harmonica and I used to sing Burl Ives songs and play the harmonica and guitar at the same time. And this is when I was in about the sixth grade. Maybe I'm, that's why you got elected president of the student body. I don't know. Uh, um, but uh, when I was, uh, you know, the sixth grade was the last last grade of elementary school. And then you were seventh grade, you went to junior high. So I was, you know, I was predicted that I was going to become a, uh, in, the, in the sixth grade, uh, everyone had a, a, you know, predicting what their future was going to be. And mine was going to, I was going to be a one-man band. <laughs> So, uh, well, when anyway. did you trade up from that Gene Autry model guitar to? Oh, uh, it was a couple of years later. Um, I, I, uh, I guess, I guess I, I talked my folks into buying me a, uh, a, a Gibson F hole, mm -hmm. like a jazz guitar, uh, and it was seventy-five bucks, which in nineteen forty-eight or whenever that's probably forty-eight or forty-nine, fifty something like that, uh, was a boatload of money especially for us I mean we just you know we were we didn't even have a car but they must have seen that you were pretty diligent at practicing I, and playing. I guess but I, rem I remember going down to Walter D Moses uh, real good music store down in D down in uh, Richmond picking out the guitar uh, just before right after Thanksgiving and I was told that, that I couldn't take it home I had to wait until Christmas so that was a long, long month, um, and I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming Christmas, you know, that Christmas, that Christmas Eve and Christmas night, or Christmas morning. I didn't. I never went to sleep. I could not wait to get up that morning because I knew that guitar was going to be in the living room with all my stuff. And as a matter of fact, I, I even saw it. I sneaked out. I'd stuck my head out of my bedroom when my mom was bringing it in the house, and I saw it. <laughs> I got a, got a glimpse of it. Um, well, that was and, the best seventy-five dollars they ever spent. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was it wasn't a bad. It wasn't it was, I didn't even know I don't even know what the model was, but it was just an acoustic F hole Gibson uh, guitar. And I remember going. We went around to all my aunts and uncles and cousins and all all lived around Richmond, and they had this. I had the guitar and my harmonica and a little thing that goes around your neck that holds a harmonica and I had to do play a couple songs. What were your everybody. big hits? Well, um, Blue Tail Fly and uh, and there was one, <laughs> I, I, had, I actually had to do this at church uh, one time and um, one, of, one of the songs, I, I had, a, I had a, a little album of Burl Ives songs and I, I learned a lot of those. Uh, and one of them was called Eddie Stone Light. And the Eddie Stone Light has a, let's see, my father was the keeper of the Eddie Stone Light and he slept with a mermaid one fine night. From this union there came three, the porpoise and a porgy and the other was me. Well, the slept, the slept part, I didn't, I didn't know what, you know, I didn't, it was just, he took a nap with her or something, you know, <laughs> I don't know. but. Uh, 
I remember singing it uh, in church one night. <laughs> My mom was chagrined, and I did not know why. But <laughs> you know, one of these, you know, one of these church suppers on Sunday nights. <laughs> so, so uh, anyway, that was uh, uh, mostly. I, I learned a bunch of songs off that Burl Ives album. I love Burl Ives. He was, he was great. Um, and then, I guess, uh, probably when I got, well, I guess when I was in about the eighth or ninth grade, um, there was a, a show on WXGI down in Richmond called Pop's Country Store, and a fellow named George Popkins was, a, was the uh, DJ for that. But his theme song was A Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And I remember the first time I ever heard that, I went nuts. I thought, holy crap, what in the world is that? And um, and and then uh, he, I, I don't know how I found out it was Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. But did you know it was a banjo? Uh, yeah, I, I think I did know, I probably did know it was a banjo. But I decided I, decided I gotta get one of those. Uh, so I gotta see if I can <laughs> Because I didn't have any money, um, uh, so I, I somehow talked my parents. Uh, my dad, although although they were, my parents were divorced. He still spent a lot of time with us. You know, he 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 was there. Uh, whenever he was in town, he was always over there. So, how I how I talked him into it, I don't do not know. But I got one, and I got it for my 16th birthday, August the 15th, 1954, I think. And um, and of course, back then there were no tapes, there were no videos, there was no nothing, there was no uh, tab or anything—at least not that I knew of. Uh, and and, so and what kind of banjo was it? It was a Gibson RB100. So it was a—I think it was—I think it cost them. I think it was a hundred-dollar instrument. I think it was a hundred dollars. Pretty sure. I think a RB150 was. A, Hundred and fifty dollars. It had a. It hit had. A, I think it had a tone ring in it. The one I had. The one I had did not have a, like a master tone tone ring. It just had a little hula hoop kind of kind of thing. But uh, uh, anyway, I. Uh, you know, the only, the only way I knew how to to sort of figure out what was going on was take Flat and Scruggs records and slow them down. And uh, I did have a. I did. There was a fellow that was about nine months ahead of me. Uh, in in terms of playing, how long he'd had a banjo. It was a young guy like me, and the people at the music store put me onto him, and he he actually showed me how to tune it um, with to the open G because the book that I had had you tuning the fifth string, the fourth string down to a D, and it didn't talk about bluegrass. It was mo mostly you know sort of jazz, old time, old time or jazz. Yeah. Um, so this fellow Ben Colonery came over and showed me that, and showed me a, a couple of rolls, and. Um, so I, I sort of was beginning to catch on to it, but the way I would learn, try to learn, was take a 45 record and uh, play it at 33 and a third. And of course, Lester is going, 
if I surrender, but you know, but Earl, I could hear you know, I could I could hear what he was doing, and I had to tune the banjo way down down a whole fifth to to get it to sort of be in tune, and of course it sounded absolutely ghastly, uh, but it was it was doing the job. But I I remember. I had a little uh, sun sun porch off of my bedroom, and that's where I used to go practice. I had my record player out there, and I could I could shut the door and sort of isolate myself from the rest of the house, so I wouldn't bother anybody. Just I hoped I wasn't bothering anybody. And um, but I was back there one night, sitting on the bed playing along with, with the slow speed. My dad came. He was he was in town. He came back there, walked in. And, Looked down at me, he put his hands on his hips, and he said, Son, buying you that banjo for your birthday last year was the biggest goddamn mistake I ever made in my life. That thing is nothing but a cacophony of harsh and unpleasant sounds. <laughs> I didn't know what cacophony meant, but I knew it wasn't good. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, but he he didn't stick around. He he passed he passed away before I. Uh, uh, well, I learned how to play, but he never really did. He he just didn't didn't care for it. So I didn't you know I wouldn't play it when he was around. And he passed away before I ever started going out and playing in public. Uh, so uh, anyway. Um, and what did your mom think of all this? Well, my mom my mom sort of. She sort of put up with it, just kind of like she put up with going, taking us to the, uh, you know, down to the to the old Dominion barn dance. wasn't anything she would have done on her own, but, um, but she she never really cared much for the banjo, but she did like to to listen to me play the guitar, uh, and um, and after the evening, this was after the scene started, and we'd been going around playing on you know all over the country and doing stuff. I'd get a call from her, uh, you know, now we'd chat for a while, and she'd say, oh, son, by the way, uh, where are you playing your guitar this weekend? I'd say, oh, Mom, it's the banjo I play, remember? <laughs> so so she, she never really, uh, she never, really never loved the banjo. And the, I think the only song that the scene did that she really liked was uh, Raised by the Railroad Line, because it had a line in there about putting pennies on the rail and getting them mashed flat. And she used to do that, I guess, when she was a little kid. Uh, so she thought that was pretty cool. Is your but, mom still alive? No, she passed away in uh, 1997. She's been gone. But she was, a, she was a magnificent lady. She really was. Just a, just a great gal. She, um, like I said, she was president. I mean, she was uh, head of personnel, head of personnel for the whole Department of Welfare and Institutions for the state of Virginia. And then she she was also on the board of visitors for Randolph Macon all the Randolph Macon schools, and um, which is where she went to school, and um, what else? I wish she was director of admissions up there for. Wow. Uh, well, not for long. She she just took a temporary job. She retired when she turned from the state of Virginia when she turned sixty five, and uh, they needed a uh, they needed somebody to do the admissions department for a year till they got some got someone else in up there. So she moved moved up there and worked up there for a year. Did well, that. let's talk about uh, getting out of high school. And you, you went to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. And um, 
you packed up that old banjo and took it to school with you? Or? I did. I sure did. Oh, yeah. And you met a few people there that were really played a big part in your musical career. Well, Paul Kraft was one. And how did that uh, meeting come about? Oh, well, Paul, I remember, well, it was my freshman year. I don't remember how I got in touch with him. I think he may have, he may have, somebody may have told him about me. Anyway, he, he showed up in my room, uh, in the dorm room one night, and uh, it was before he started playing the banjo. Um, but we, you know, we ended up uh, playing music together, just sitting around picking, you know. He did a lot of really neat finger-style stuff, and, and it was before he was writing songs, but he was a good singer and player, so um, that's how I got to know him. And actually, I took him down to uh, one of the music stores in Charlottesville and helped him pick out a banjo because he was interested in learning how to play a banjo. And, and how much were banjos costing in those days? Oh, gosh, I don't know, probably a couple of hundred bucks. I don't know. Uh, I don't even remember what, what it was we he got. But I showed him a few licks on there, showed him a few rolls and basic things. Next thing I knew, he was playing with Jimmy Martin. Wow. <laughs> Literally, within a year, he was he had gotten a job with uh, Jimmy Martin, and he had turned turned into a really great banjo player. He he and Sonny Osborne had gotten to be real good friends, and I think Sonny uh, showed him, taught him a lot. And then Paul taught me a lot that Sonny had showed him, so it was a, you know... It was a real syner synergistic uh, relationship. Well, was there a little hotbed of pickers down there in Charlottesville, or? Uh... Well, there was. There were a bunch of guys that played uh, in my fraternity. Um, in fact, that's why I joined the fraternity. Which fraternity was that? SPE Sigma Pledge Everybody <laughs> Sigma Phi Epsilon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we, as a matter of fact, they, uh, they, the couple of guys in the in the fraternity were real good friends with Bill Clifton, who was a graduate student there. And so we used to play a little bit with Bill. Um, and uh, got yeah, I wonder, did you ever think he'd go on and be in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, he had he did records, and he'd play. You know, he had Ralph Stanley playing on his records, and right. Johnny Clark, and all these great players. So yeah, we, you know, he that was a big deal to go just to sit down and and play music with him because mm -hmm. he was a he was a big icon to me, and he's a sweet, he's a nice guy, he's a really good guy, and um, I haven't seen him in years, but he's he's always been been one of my favorites. And he was so nice to he was so nice to me when I was in school. I'd sometimes uh, when I didn't have a banjo with me, I'd go I'd stop by his house and he had one that he'd let me borrow, and I could, I'd take it over to a party and bring it back to him. But he was you know he was just that kind of guy. Who else was going to school down then? Um, I I can't I can't think of anyone else. Uh, guy named oh, there's a fellow named Fletcher Smith. Who was a pretty good? He was a good banjo player. He, uh, I just heard from Fletcher. As a matter of fact, he's he lives down in uh, uh, South of Roanoke, and he's now playing dobro and fiddle and playing with Gene Parker. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but that's that's it. Quig Lawrence was one of, one of my fraternity brothers who played, and uh, they played on the Old Dominion Bar Dance with 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 uh, with Bill Clifton. He and uh, 
Oh shoot, I can't remember who else was 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 in the band. But uh, anyway, that was that was my first introduction to really real professional players. Well, John Starling cites the first time he ever heard a banjo played in person was you at the University of Virginia. It, it might not have been. It might. It, it may have been Paul. Now, here's my recollection on that. I used to go back to uh, UVA on football weekends, and uh, there was some. There was a couple of guys in law school who, who were who I knew from Richmond. They went to law school at the time, and they used to have picking parties. And Paul was back there. Paul and I were at one of these parties, and I was playing guitar. And Paul was because Paul was a hot banjo player. You know that was that was during his Jimmy Martin days. Mm -hmm. and, and Sonny Osborne, you know, when he was hanging with Sonny Osborne, had all these cool licks. So I was I was playing rhythm guitar, and I just remember John uh, was at the at the party, and he had an electric guitar, electric guitar, you know. And I, but I remember him hunkering down on on one knee, Paul and I were standing up, singing uh, Johnny Cash, a couple of Johnny Cash songs with this electric guitar. Uh, and uh, thinking, you know, who is this? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> but turns out, thinking, damn, he he sings pretty good. <laughs> and uh, so I, we got to, I got to know uh, know John. Went down and actually used to stay with uh, with him and uh, Fasu. Uh, I'll never forget the first night I met uh, met them. I met Fasu. It was actually the night. It was the night after Jack Kennedy was killed. It was that Saturday night. He was he was shot on a Friday, and this was Saturday. And there'd been this big picking party that was going to happen in Charlottesville. I was I was out of school by then, and uh, we uh, a fellow named Jim Bogard and I rode down there. We had just I just wanted to get away from all this, you know, all the TV stuff that was going on. Anyway, we we got there and John was John Stalling was there and here he was was with this absolutely drop dead gorgeous lady. Fasu, he introduced him. He wasn't married to, to Fasu yet at the time, but I mean she was just jaw dropping pretty. And he got his guitar out and I got we got our stuff out and he said let's do some old Stanley Brothers songs. So I I don't know what he started singing with some good old Stanley. And come come the chorus, she jumped in there and started singing tenor. And I'm, I get chills in my in my arms just thinking about it. Just, I'm like, good God, I got a lady that looks like that and can sing like that. Gee whiz, that's unbelievable. Oh man, so she's still singing and she sounds still, great. She still is. She's. Uh, I'm glad to see her back out there doing it. Uh, she sort of retired for a long time, but uh, she's really busy these days. Uh, and she came, she was here in town in, in Fredericksburg, I guess about a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, playing over at Liberty Town. And uh, John and I went over there, and uh, he got up and sang a couple of songs with her. And I, I went over and played banjo with him and guitar. It, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But uh, oh, she's still singing great. Still looking great, too. <laughs> All right, so uh, then you've uh, gotten out of school. Were you, you weren't doing any professional playing when you were in school. No. No gigs or anything? No, no, no. I didn't, you know, it was to me, it was just, it was not anything I really wanted to do. I just liked to play. I didn't care about getting up in front of people and playing. 
because I because I do remember uh, I, doing that several times when I was in high school um, and being really scared and you know not feeling comfortable doing so I was a whole lot I you know I, I just had no interest really in getting up and playing professionally but Boy, you couldn't keep me out of a jam session if I knew there was one happening within 50 miles. Mm-hmm. I'd be head for that. So you're but, living in the Bethesda area? Um, no, when I first came up, when I first came up to D.C., I lived over in um, Adelphi, over near uh, the University of, of Maryland, mm-hmm. and uh, I ran into a fellow named uh, Jim Bogard who worked at the same, who worked at uh, Johns Hopkins where I was working. And he was a good uh, guitar player and good singer, um, and we just started hanging out together. And we were we were doing stuff on we just always getting together and playing music on on weekends and stuff. And at that time, I started wanting to get a. Um, I was thinking about getting a master tone because I was still playing my RB one hundred, I think, at that point. And they used to have hooting nannies uh, at the University of Maryland, and I. Jim and I went out to one of those hootenannies and ran to George McSeney. Met George McSeney for the first time, and and uh, uh, I was asking George about stuff like that. About you know, is it where do we know somebody that knows about banjos and where you can find them and all that stuff? And he he put me on to Tom Morgan, who was living in uh, Tacoma Park at the time. So I called up Tom, and he invited me to come over. Well, that was I I, I did a little. Uh, training thing for a couple of years down in Tom's basement. I'd come over, I'd go over there a couple of nights a week and help him do necks and, uh, you know, do simple stuff like sanding and, and that kind of stuff. But what the neat part about being over there was all these great musicians would pop in and out. I mean, I met David Grisman down there. I met Bill Emerson. I met uh, Red Allen, um, Lamar Greer, Bill Keith. Um, and so, you know, and, and just, you know, sitting around watching them play, I'd ask them questions, and, and I learned a lot just just down in Tom's, uh, in Tom's basement. Um, it, was, uh, it was pretty interesting. But also, he put me on to, um, you know, old banjos, and uh, I... Trying to think, I, you know what? I don't even remember what the first one I had was. Um, I didn't keep it very long. I ended up buying a new master tone, a new one, which was not not very good. It wasn't a good instrument at all. But I was, I didn't know anything about them. I just knew there was some Gibson master tone, and I got it, got it for three hundred bucks or something, whatever it was back then. Um, but it was uh, that was that was a that was a real learning. Um, place I, I picked up a lot of, of, of uh, licks and just uh, getting to know folks you know in the business a little bit met Donnie Bryant over there and Donnie and I became instant buds I remember the night because Donnie Donnie had been one of my heroes he used to play with Mac Wiseman when I was first starting out and, and he was on they were on the barn dance and I used to go down there this is when I was in about the 10th grade Used to go down and, and watch him. Um, in fact, Flat and Scruggs were, were on the bond dance for a while too. They, and they would have an 11 to 12 o'clock live in the studio. One of them would take the first half hour and 
you know, Mac would take the first half hour and Lester and Earl would take the second. And you could just go in the studio and watch them play. And uh, I loved Donnie's playing. And he, and he learned a lot from watching Earl because they were together. Um, but the first time I, I really met him was over at Tom's. And we, we ended up uh, at leaving Tom's house and standing out in the street and talking for about two hours. Um, and we still, Barb and I go visit, he's living out in Colorado Springs now, and Barb and I go, whenever we're out that way, we usually stay with him. And he's doing great. Still picking, he, he just sent me a CD of some stuff that he did. 78 years old, he's still cutting it. He is still cutting, on the guitar and the banjo. But you also probably uh, learned a lot about banjo setup and... Probably or was that not as important to you? No, it wasn't. It was important, and uh, no, you got to get them sounding, make you happy. And I'm not a great setup guy, but I can. If something happens, you know, I, if 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 I have an emergency, I can I can tweak it a little bit. But um, uh, here lately, uh, I'd say probably in the last 10, 10, 12, 15 years, whenever I needed any work done, I'd take it down to Snuffy. Smith, and of course we lost him a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. which uh, which was a big blow to me, just because he was just such a wonderful guy and uh, amazingly talented and knowledgeable about so many things. Um, but yeah, I, I would just, okay, here you go, Snuff. Uh, Barbara and Jackie, his, his, my wife Barbara and, and uh, his wife Jackie really hit it off well, so they They'd be upstairs, and they'd be yakking, and they'd go to bed around 11 o'clock like normal people do. Snuffy and I would be down in the basement fooling with banjos till four in the morning. Yeah, because he didn't, as he said, he never got up till the crack of noon. He was, <laughs> that was on his answering machine. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and I, I learned, I've learned, I learned a fair amount from him about setups, but I'd rather have somebody who really does it all the time work on my banjo, somebody I trusted. And I don't know what I'm gonna do now. I guess I'll have to do most of my stuff myself. Either that or just be real careful with the, because the banjo that I'm playing now was set up by snuff. And uh, Better have someone look at it and see how he's got it. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, he has, he had all kinds of theories about how much, the, you know, how much slope you put on the, you know the strings coming off the bridge what the what the slope ought to be and i, I don't know he had all kinds of stuff going on but um he was an amazing guy really was well let's talk about uh when you started playing uh how did you get in with uh the fellows around the washington area that led to you playing with cliff waldron was there a band before that no I used to, the only thing I did out in public at all before that was uh, about once a month, Tom and Mary Morgan and a few people, whoever, you know, Tom could round up, maybe maybe Mike and Dave Aldridge, uh, myself, Gary. Uh, Gary Henderson. Gary Henderson. I, I think Gary used to play with, but we, there was a, they used to have a little uh, entertainment thing over at uh, Walter Reed Hospital for the, for the soldiers. Uh, in a, one of the auditoriums there once a month and we'd go over there with Tom and that was that was about my only stage experience at, at that point um, and then when I guess John Starling moved up he got out of medical school I don't know probably 1967 or 68 something like that he came up moved to Bethesda I, at that point I was moved, I was living in Bethesda um, 
he he came up and um, I had met Mike Aldridge uh, in Tom's basement, Tom Morgan's basement, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we had seen each other at picking parties and stuff, and we'd gotten to know each other. So John came up and called me. He was looking for an apartment. Uh, this was just before he was getting ready to do his, his uh, internship. And he called me, and they, they ended up staying with us. And um, and I called Mike and Dave and uh, Gary, I think, said, you know, we got this guy here. He's a pretty good singer. I want to come over. So they did, and and, um, and that, that sort of was a genesis of our weekly... Uh, we call it our weekly card game. Monday night down in my basement, playing music, uh, and that's uh, you know we didn't have any any aspirations to go out and play. We just we'd go down to the basement. We we did record a lot of it. Really? Yeah, yeah, we did. And I wish I could. I'm going to see if I can find some for you, because um, uh, it it exists. Um, and how um, would you rate it? these days looking back on it a, a lot of it was real good um some of it you know it would get a little rough and uh like 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 starling uh, would forget the words which he always did <laughs> john used to refer to him as dr space um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh but no we i would i would rate it as as halfway decent you know um Mike was Mike was already you know he was a fine dobro player at that point. He in a lot of the early stuff he didn't like to play in, in keys other than G. Like I used to like to play farewell blues was in C and he didn't, he didn't care much for that. But of course now you just you just give him a key. He's he's by the way he's just playing great these days too. He, um, um, but we had a we had a Monday night every night every Monday night at my house, we would uh, Mike and Dave Gary Henderson, uh, Bruce Barnes. Uh, what John was Starling he playing? Bruce played mandolin. Um, we'd get together uh, and and uh, occasionally we would go to the Red. We'd all gather on a Wednesday. I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday night. It was when Bill Emerson and uh, Cliff and all of them used to play over at the Red Fox when it was Emerson and Waldron. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one night when we were over there, Mike got up and I guess maybe Mike and I got up and played. Uh, you know how they do. They ask you to get up and play. Uh, well, the next day, I got a phone call to work from Mike. He said he'd just gotten off the phone talking to Emerson and Emerson wanted him to join the band. I said, go for it, man. So he... So he did. He played with them. And his day job was at the Washington Star as an illustrator. Or was yes. He, he, yeah. At the time, he had he he was still working. At the, he still had a day job. Um. So uh, yeah, he played with them for about a year, I guess, and then and then Bill decided to leave, I guess, and go with the country gentleman. I, I could be wrong about this. I think yeah, and and. Um, and he, uh, Cliff hired a fellow named Jeff. Oh gosh, Jeff. What's Jeff's last name? I'll, I'll think. Uh, whatever. Anyway, it turns Jeff didn't just didn't quite work out for for Cliff. So uh, we were at another picking party one night, and Cliff was there, and I was playing, and I knew I knew everything they did. 
I knew it all because because Emerson's one of my big heroes, and I you know I knew all their stuff. So we started picking, and uh, sounded like we'd been playing together for a long time. So he asked me if I wanted to take the job. I said, "Sure, what the heck." How much was he playing? At he was the... playing. We were playing uh, usually about three nights a week. Wow. Two. We were, I think we were playing. We played down at Ruby's. Uh, I think on something like. Two, I don't remember. I don't remember what the days were, but something like Thursday and Saturday, and then we were playing at the, at the Red Fox, say on Tuesday. And it got it got to be. Uh, it was a little more than I could handle after a year. I, I just, you know, every every weeknight, you know, not getting home from, from Ruby's. Ruby's is down in Woodbridge. and Which uh, is about 35 miles out of Washington. Yeah, and I was living in Bethesda, and so was Mike and Dave. Both were living in Bethesda. They were, Dave and Mike Aldridge were also in the, in the band at that point. So that that lasted from about... August of 1970 to August of 1971. And were you traveling to festivals or was it just... Yeah, we, we played at Bean Blossom, we played at Gettysburg, and we played at uh, Camp Springs. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, oh man, I, <laughs> speaking of Camp Springs, I'll never forget the first time we played down there. And that was, that was about, it was probably the third gig I'd played with Cliff at a festival, maybe the third... And a huge, I mean, the Camp Springs back in those days was humongous. And everybody who played bluegrass, all you, Osborne Brothers, Bill Monroe, uh, you, you name it, uh, Mac Wiseman, uh, Jim and Jesse, Stanley Brothers, Jimmy Martin, all there. And Cliff didn't, he hadn't been booked on the show, but Carlton had heard him and, and liked the band, so he gave him a spot right at 9 o'clock on Saturday night. And That's I, prime time. Prime time. And I can remember, I can remember being backstage, waiting to go out there, trying not to puke. <laughs> <laughs> thinking, thinking, I was scared to death. Why? Because of the other big names because that were there? All, yeah, because I, you know, I don't have any business going out here on this stage with all the rest of these guys. How old here. were you then? Mm, I was probably about 32, 33, something like that. Still a like kid. That. Still a kid. I'm still a kid. I figured out what I'm going to be when I grow up, you know. <laughs> I, um, but, um, yeah, and thinking, oh, my man. This this used to be fun, but this is no fun. I do not feel good. I hope I can keep up with bad abs. Well, we went out on the stage and started playing, and the 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 lights, all the electricity went completely off after we'd been playing about forty five seconds, and and everything went. And of course, it went silent. Everything went dark, and I'm going, "Thank you, Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> I hope they don't come back on. Our lights don't come back on. <laughs> well, they did. And we ended up playing for uh, 20 minutes. And once I got out there and, you know, got settled, it was great. It was great. And we sounded good. We played great. Uh, but I'll tell you what, though, I, don't, <laughs> I will never forget standing by that stage door waiting to go out there and just... I'm, I'm getting a little queasy thinking about it right really? now. Really? <laughs> well, so how long did the stage fright stay with you it's still i still get it not like that but i always get a little 
I think everybody does. You always get a little bit apprehensive before you go out. And usually you'll know, you know, you don't know whether you're going to be playing well or not. You know, that's, that's the, the sort of unknown. But, uh, no, I still, I think, I think I still get a little anxious every time we go out and play. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a... How do you shake it off, or is it I just, just... I, it just shakes itself off. Right. I mean, usually once you once I get started, if if if, if the sound is is working and everything sounds right, then I you know I, I get into it. What what can throw me a little bit and, and throws a lot of musicians is if the sound that you're hearing you can't hear some one of the other players in the band or or your instrument just sounds doggy, uh, you know which sound guys can do to you. They can. Um, it's no fun. That's when I start sweating and getting a headache and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, but that happens to everyone. That happens to everyone. What about your full-time job? They were pretty good about your coming in. Did you come in late to work, or did they make allowances for no, I didn't. Ben Eldridge, the banjo player? No, no, no. I was just, I'd get to work at 8.30. Didn't matter what time I got home the night before. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I had to, and that was that was tough. I mean, when we were going down to with Cliff, when we were going down uh, to Ruby's, on uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't get back home until you know after twelve o'clock, and then I had to get up at seven, you know. And so, and, and also if we, it, it if we after I've been playing, it takes me a while to kind of, you know, you get revved up. Your adrenaline gets full. Yeah, you don't just go home and go. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. So, uh, so it it just got it just got a little little more than I could deal with. And I think the same thing happened with Mike too. Uh, So we we quit about the same time. He'd been he'd been on for a year longer than I had. Um, And that was Katie Daly talking with Ben Eldridge about his early childhood and musical experiences. Remember, this is part one of a three part interview with the birthday boy, Ben Eldridge. And by the way, it's August 15th. Wish him a happy birthday. In part two, it's the seldom seen. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on SoundCloud.com and can be streamed on SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and katydaily.com. As always, thanks so much for listening to Bluegrass Stories. Bluegrass Stories.